I'm Dr. Daria Rose, and you're listening to The Daria Rose Show, where we bring a fact-based perspective to answer all those confounding questions that come up in our day-to-day lives, from achieving optimal health to making conscious choices about your purchases and raising kids that thrive. We are here to help you navigate your life with confidence. Hello, and welcome back to The Daria Rose Show. I am thrilled to have Michaeline Duclef here to talk about her amazing best-selling book, Hunt, Gather, Parent, What Ancient Cultures Can Teach Us About the Lost Art of Raising Happy, Helpful Little Humans. I have been obsessed with this book since the minute I picked it up and proceeded to read it again pretty much as soon as I finished it the first time. I have long felt that something is broken about the way we parent in Western cultures, as I've seen so many stressed and depressed parents, myself included, disruptive and stubborn children, and anxious and depressed teens. And I am just heartbroken by the suicide rate in teenagers and young people in this country. And I truly believe that some of the lessons Michaeline presents in her book can be a huge part of the solution. Michaeline Duclef, PhD, is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Hunt, Gather, Parent. She's a global health correspondent for NPR's Science Desk, where she reports about disease outbreaks and children's health. Duclef has a doctorate in chemistry from the University of California, Berkeley, a master's degree in viticulture and enology from the University of California, Davis, and a bachelor's degree in biology from Caltech. In 2015, Duclef was part of the team that earned a George Foster Peabody Award for its coverage of the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. We have an absolutely fantastic conversation about how to de-stress our parenting lives and help our kids find their intrinsic motivation to be helpful and contributing members of the family. I have used several of her tips, and even though I'm still pretty new at it, the lessons have been absolutely transformative in our home. I am so excited to share her wisdom with you. Here is Michaeline Duclef. Michaeline, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. I think I need to start by saying how incredibly brave you are for <laughs> traveling to the far corners of the earth with your wily toddler. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I just like can't even imagine. What was that like? The first trip was in the Yucatan in Mexico, which was the easiest logistically and travel-wise, but it was by far the hardest because I didn't have any of the skills. And like slowly as we went, especially to the Arctic, I and Rosie too changed so much. Like I really started using what was in the book as we traveled because traveling is like such a hard experience with toddlers. And it's like a perfect opportunity. I realized actually on the flight back from Cancun, the, you know, the first trip, I realized, I realized I was like, you know what, if I just kind of channel what I've learned and what these moms, Muslim moms had taught me, I'm just going to see what happens on the six hour flight. And it was like, it was incredible. Like she calmed down, she stopped screaming and I was clearly not good at it at that point at all. And <laughs> I didn't really know the ins and outs of it, but I just saw even like just that little bit kind of what was possible. So by the end, when we were in the Tanzania trip was crazy. It was like 20 some hours of flying and then seven hour road trip. Like Rosie was amazing. Like she had really changed because I had changed the way I interacted with her. So that, well, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got back and I was like, this book is really going to work because like it's already worked. I mean, that's, people are always like, well, how can, you know, these very different places, these very different communities like teach us things here and like busy San Francisco life. And I'm always like, 
yeah, I know. I'm surprised myself, like how well it works. And it's why I wrote the book because it does like really work in all these different places. Totally. So, so much of Hunt Gather Parent resonated with me. But like you said, at first I was a little skeptical, even a little bit by the title. I'm a very isolated Western parent and I Mm. am very, very aware of that. Mm. (laughs) And so I've heard actually a lot of my friends justify a lot of their parenting practices by saying, well, this is how it was always done in these traditional Mm. ways. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine if you've got seven aunts and all these elders and helping hands helping you in a tribe. Like, I don't have a tribe. I don't have a village. I don't have anything. You, know, you my and me, is, you and me, sister. Like, <laughs> I, I, this whole week, I have been solo parenting and, like, you know, even I have do the things in the book and I talk, I, I do all those things, but I end up so many days, like, just, it's just me. And it's so hard. And I think it's one of the hardest aspects of, start to cry because this week has just been like that. But like the hardest aspects of parenting these days is how isolated. Mm. And there's a lot of men, but it's a lot of women that are just doing it on their own almost. And And now it's COVID, like even our small chances to not be isolated are cut off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we go in these waves, right? Where like people leave or, you know, somebody moves or yeah, COVID Mm. comes, school things happen, people get sick. And then we we're back to kind of isolate and it's just kind of the default is like isolated and And I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no. I I think it's really important that you talked about your depression that came from that. And I had it too. I'm on medication right now that I am shocked that it happened to me in some way because I've never, I've never felt so helpless and so incapable of in some way that like I, for something that's so important to me. Yeah, that's it. Like I see, I remember when I wrote those words of, I know, I'm never was so incapable or I was so bad at something. Yeah, you said that. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to be good at. Like, I really didn't, you know, anything, my career, whatever, like just being a good mom and helping this little tiny creature, like it's all I wanted. I felt like I was just, I feel like I was failing miserably. I mean, I just, you've like caught me on like the worst week. I'm yeah. so emotional, but like, you know, I think something that our society should talk more about the isolation because what I argue in the last section of the book is it's actually the opposite of the way children are evolved to be raised right that they are like so incapable of needing they need five people right and to put it on one or two people is just it's kind of cruel in a way you know to the kids and to us yeah exactly especially to us especially to (laughs) us right and 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 everything suffers because of it because I'm not as good of a mom if I'm sad or missing part of myself, which is what it felt like for so many years. And yeah, it's brutal. So it's really the second I started reading it and you you hit me with that, it was just, I knew that that we were speaking the same language Yeah, because it's so, yeah, I'm so in it right now and it's so real. How old are your kids? So I have, my, my, my oldest just turned four on Sunday and my, my youngest is only like two, actually I think Today, she's two years and nine months. So they're real close together. Wow. You yeah. are in it. That is, I've <laughs> only had one and that, that's, yeah, you're, you're doing, you're doing a great job. <laughs> no matter what you're doing, they're alive and they sleep at night. You're doing a great job. Usually, yeah. <laughs> you know, four hours. Like enough. <laughs> I was really surprised that how practical some of the advice that, that you brought back from tribes was to me. In this yeah. very it's, isolated it's situation. Me too. I was surprised. And actually, when I first made the trip, before I read the book, I made the trip 
to the Yucatan for my reporting for, for NPR. And I got back and I tried like a couple of the things and I was, I was floored at how, one, how easier it made our lives, but how much better behaved Rosie was afterwards. And that's really what made me want to learn more because, because I, I feel like so much of the advice we have sometimes works a little bit or for a little while, but sometimes it just doesn't work at all. But I really felt like what I learned from the Maya women, it's mostly the women, people give me a hard time for that, but it's the truth <laughs> that the mm-hmm. women were teaching me, which just really, just really changed our lives. Like it really improved my relationship with Rosie at a time she was two and a half at that time, you know, had such a complex period, but it also just made me feel better. Like I felt better about our lives and because things just got a lot easier. Yeah. Well, let's dig in a little bit because I'm totally with you and that I feel like a lot of the issues that come up are an artifact, let's say, of our Western style of parenting and the philosophies that we just sort of accept as truth yeah, <laughs> as true. default because it's in our culture and everybody does it. And it sounds right. You know, there's sort of these hand wavy explanations about why this is important to stimulate your kid and why this is right. important, but we're all miserable. I like you and I aren't the only ones that are depressed and, and freaking out about this stuff. I mean, every single one of my girlfriends that's in this stage of life is having such a hard time. And, and I do think it comes down largely to our philosophies and values that we're using. So can you talk about Western parenting philosophies and what you think is broken there? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the major, major things is that we are really taught to interact with our children in a way that creates like a lot of conflict and stress. Like we kind of, I kind of thought that arguing with your kid, negotiating, bickering, like that's the way parents interacted with children. And that was kind of normal. But it's really not. If you look around the world, like the vast majority of cultures, like it doesn't matter which continent you're on. Like parents don't argue with kids. Parents don't have these negotiations. They don't have this like conflict-filled relationship. And on the flip side of that is that we don't, we aren't taught how to cooperate with our kids or how to cooperate with our family, like work together as a family. And there were two things that really changed my life. One is learning how to cooperate with my daughter, with a two-year-old. It's funny, I tell some parents, and they're like, but I do cooperate with them. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you really don't. You really don't. This is about, this is not about you telling the kid to do something and they do it. That's not what we're talking about here. This is like actually treating the child in a way where they're contributing to the family and they're contributing to your life and they're integrated into your life. So that really changed me. So we go to these great lengths to separate the adult world and the child world. Mm. And then, but then children never learn how to be adults. They don't, they don't learn how to cooperate. They don't learn how to work together with you. And they're also missing from that, this connection that I think I was missing as a child. I know Rosie was missing as a toddler, but when you work together with your parent and your child, it's this amazing connection that gets created. So that's the one thing I think is, is broken is that our, our way of interacting with them generates conflict and stress, anxiety, and isolation because you're not connecting to them. And then the second thing is there's just this enormous amount of high energy, right? There's just, we are taught that like the more you do as a parent, the more you say, the more you entertain, the like, the more action-packed the days are, the better parents you are. And for a lot of kids, including Rosie, 
And I think myself as a child, it's not better. In fact, it's the opposite of what she needs. She needs days where we do very little. We, we cook, we clean, we garden, we hang out. She, she needs me to be quiet. She needs, and, and I, I, there's some, there's this weird twist in our society that like, if you're calm, it's like sad or bad. If you're quiet and calm, there's something wrong. And I grew up with that feeling. And I'm trying to learn, trying to learn from Rosie that like actually being calm and quiet and not talking is this beautiful, wonderful emotion and wonderful experience. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of that comes from this idea that we need to be stimulating our child to encourage their development. And, you know, yep. like it comes from like this good intention. Absolutely. Right? And a, a, as a neuroscientist, I, I know that it's very important that in development, we have an en- enriched environment and that's good for a lot of things, but there is such a thing as overstimulation. Yeah. Also. <laughs> yeah. And then that, I think that barometer is different for different kids too. Totally. And it, and what is a rich, so the anthropologist, she's a lot in the book, Suzanne Gaskin, she's an amazing psychological anthropologist. She said, what is a rich environment? Is a rich environment a living room full of plastic toys? Or is like a rich environment being with your family while they make tortillas? Or, or going on a walk to get the, the water from the river with, with, with a bunch of women? Or, or me and Rosie out in the garden? Is it, is, what is a richness, right? Right. Does it need to be like cello lessons and tennis lessons and. Yeah. And, and, it, and all of that is, is like directional learning, right? Somebody mm-hmm. is directing, telling the child how to learn. There's this like whole other way of learning that actually arguably children are more designed to learn, which is through observation and experiencing it with, with, with another person. Right. And so if, if the child is just actually the anthropologist David Lindsay has this theory that children have, have started to lose this skill in mm-hmm. Western culture, this ability to learn through observation, because they have been it, just so packed full of instruction. Mm-hmm. So they're just waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. Totally. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, I'm here. And this, this person is, he has this whole story. It's amazing. I should write a piece about it, but it's, it's about kids on learning how to get on the ski lift. And he lives in Utah where there's like a bunch of, and he said, 20 years ago, new kids would get on the ski lift and they'd watch the kid in front of them how to get off, you know, and then they'd be able to get off, even though they've never done it before. Mm-hmm. He said about five or 10 years ago, kids stopped. They would just fall off. <laughs> 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 and it sounds really funny, but like, he thinks it's because they've stopped learning how to learn through observation, that they've stopped oh, wow. thinking like, oh, I need to figure out how to do this. I'll just watch the people in front of me. That's yeah, crazy. and he thinks it's because... There's just no other time in history, no other culture where kids are just constantly in instruction. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's another thing that I picked up in, in the neuroscience community, and that is the value of, I mean, they, they say boredom, but it's, it's not really yeah. boredom. Yeah. Um, but the value of doing the nothing. That's the negative version, right? right? Of, like, right. Should... of just being calm. <laughs> right. Or taking initiative. So right. this is a good one, right? There's a study that shows that kids with fairly packed schedules that never have these times when they're bored or free time, don't learn the skill of taking initiative. What should I do now? Like, I got this time, with, which I, oh, should I do my homework? Should I clean my room? Should I like, which is a skill that kids need in, in life, right? I use it every day. What do I do next, right? And they show that if, if, this, if it's just constant stimulation, the child is less likely to learn the skill and develop this skill, which you need, you need boredom. Right, right. Yeah, and, and creativity. I mean, there, it does... 
it doesn't come out of nowhere. You have to, right. <laughs> you have to sort of sit, sit in your head and let it, let it, let it percolate. Yeah, that's right. Like the woman that wrote Eat, Pray, Love has a whole book on this, right? Where it's, you have to be there for the muse to come, right? And <laughs> if you're watching cartoons, the muse can't come. Well, maybe, maybe for some people. Okay. So I'm trying to like put myself um, in the position of a parent who's reluctant to give up all the scheduling and child-centered activities. And it does. And especially one counterpoint would be like, there aren't a lot of Nobel laureates coming out of remote tribes. So will our kids lose their edge if we're not constantly pushing them with their baby Einsteins and whatnot? I think for some kids, the answer is, yeah, some kids, some kids thrive under this intense parenting. I think that there's no doubt. The flip side of that is, is right now, one in three kids will be anxious or depressed by the time they go to college. We'll have gone through. And that figure has, is really stunning, right? So for a lot of kids, they're not losing their edge. You're likely probably, you know, doing them a disservice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a lot of data, right. That links anxiety, chronic stress to lack of autonomy. Mm. That's in Western culture, Western psychology, right. And feeling like you're never had these downtimes. You never have this free time. You're not deciding what your schedule is. Some kids will schedule themselves. Right. One of the Maya kids told me, she, she's eight. She's like, yeah, I just had this and I had this and I, I Maya dance. I had hieroglyph. I had this. She, she was like, and my mom was just like, this is too much. It was, <laughs> she was like scheduling herself. Right. And that's very different than the parent scheduling a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Feeling like you don't have control over your schedule, over your life. You're not making choices. That is so late to anxiety and eventually depression. I mean, and I, I'm so terrified by the suicide rates of oh. young, young people, especially, especially in my peer group, the affluent, yeah. highly educated families, like very academically focused schools. The suicide rates are like off the charts and it's scary. Like, I don't need my kid to go to Harvard that bad. <laughs> like, I mean, I, that's how, that's how I feel too. I mean, it's like at the end of the day, what do I want for Rosie? Do I want her to be like genuinely like healthy, content adult that functions well in society? Or do do I want her to be some Harvard, I don't even know, protege? I'm not sure. Like when it, I had these plans for her when, when she was a baby. I was like, okay, if I had all of this, I could do this. So I'm going to channel all my dreams into her. And I just think it's setting, setting, that would be setting her up for mental health problems. I mean, if I look at my family, that's what's there. Depression on both sides and anxiety and me and and it's okay. She's a smart kid. She's going to do well. She might not right. go to Harvard, but she's going to do well. And really, what do I need to protect her from? And I really think I need to protect her from anxiety and, st- and stress and depression and giving her free time. I think is the, I, I think so many psychologists, so many psychiatrists would tell you it's like the number one thing you can do to help a child. Yeah. Not feel anxious and stressed is like, being like, hey, yeah, I'm going to the grocery store now. Come with me. Come join me. And then kind of laying off the phone. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not about just like in the book, it's not about like free rage where it's like kids do whatever, but it's about including them and then kind of letting them be. Right. <laughs> That's kind of the sum of it. It's okay. I'm going to go out and garden now, or I'm going to go to the laundry now. Come out and help. And then instead of being like ordering around like a drill sergeant, like kind of being like, okay, hang this clothes up, fold this clothes, like a little bit of instruction, a little bit of direction. And otherwise it's kind of, we're just here together kind of hanging out together. And it really is how kids have been with their families for like hundreds of thousands of years. There's no doubt. 
Right. There's just no doubt. I mean, people give me a hard time. How do you know? Well, because you don't see any other model than that. And what else would they be doing? They wouldn't be in China. There wasn't like instruction out (laughs) in the, in the, in the, in the Tanzania bush. Right. So while we're on, on this topic, let's talk a little bit about the difference between independence and autonomy. Cause I feel like, especially Western parents can, can mix this up a little bit. Yeah. So I think Western parents love independence. They'll tell you, they highly value it. But then when you actually look at what they do, they don't give their children very much of it at all. So even just giving your kids real independence would help them a lot. <laughs> independence is really like a dis- disconnected. Like a child is kind of free to do what they want to do. This is what I had growing up. My mom, in the summers, we had no instruction. We had no classes. We just ran around outside. And, mm-hmm. and like I said in the book, I wasn't thinking about her. Right. I wasn't thinking, oh, I should pick up some milk or something for dinner. Right. Or maybe I can help her get the laundry or the, the, the dry cleaning. I never once thought a lick about her and my, my, uh, my siblings yeah. or anything. I was Our parents free. were just like our like servants. They would just do everything. Yeah. She'd make my bed, right? Like I'd leave and to, for school, my bed would be made when I got back. Yeah. This is, this is independence, right? It's this like. <laughs> this is why we fall apart when we go to college. And why we're lonely. Right. right? Because what children need is. They need a little bit of that. There's no doubt kids need independence. What they really, especially younger children, what they really crave is this autonomy. And that's, that's this kind of, okay, you're free to do what you want to do. You're kind of, I'm not going to boss you around at every moment. Like I say in the book, parents give children like three commands an hour or less than that. Tiny compared to what Western parents do. Yeah. So it's, it's, I'm going to leave you alone, but. There are expectations that we have and there are responsibilities that you have in the, to the family or to the group. If it's a, a bigger group, um, you have to share. So if you have something, you share it or you put it away. So there's none of this. This is mine. This is not yours. It is everything is shared. And if, if, if it is yours, then you, you don't show it. You, mm-hmm. you go somewhere else. So one time Rosie and I were like hiding and eating something. <laughs> really hungry. And I was like, I don't want to share it. And there's lots <laughs> of stories of this, of like Western anthropologists, like hiding food and stuff, because everything is shared. And the same with toys too. Like the Maya pet families, if a kid got, gets a toy, it's shared with the siblings. Else it goes away. Um, you have to be helpful. So you have to be on the lookout for things that you can help with. So every time any, really any task in that the household is done, a child is asked to do do something to contribute in some way if they're nearby, but they're expected to kind of take part a small amount mm-hmm. in everything. And it's really small. Like when we were in Tanzania, I really started to understand this because I was making it way too hard. I was like, Rosie, set the table or help me with the dishwasher. But this is, this was like, here, hold this water bottle. Or the mom would even come over and put a baby on my back. Like she wouldn't even ask. It was just mm-hmm. like, you're carrying this baby. And then they'd hand Rosie something to carry too. Carry the stick. Carry. So it's just very easy. The kids walking by, put this fork on the table, put the plate on the table. You know, it's a very, very, but that's teaching the child as they grow up, they're, they're expected to help. Mm. And then you're expected to be kind and respectful. So there's this, Rosie summed it up. Autonomy is you can do really whatever you want, but you need to be kind, share, and be helpful. So this, it's kind of always is looking back to the group. And that's, that's where the, you really build the connection with a child, where the child really feels like a, I think like a grounding. Like, I'm not just this free planet orbiting kind of wildly in space. I'm like grounded to this family. I'm a participant. I contribute and therefore I'm loved and fed. Yeah. It sounds like the the main thing, the main difference is the connection. Because when you're independent, you're really not connected to anything else going on 
Whereas if you're you have autonomy, you can do what you like, but you are expected to maintain that connection. That's right. It's, a, it's exactly right. There is this connection. Robin Wachimmer calls it like a bundle of responsibility, mm-hmm. right? And it goes both ways, right? You have responsibility right, right. to the child. The child has responsibility to you. It, it, children need it. It makes them feel good. Like when Rosie gets really mouthy and really bad behaved, I'm like, she needs more responsibility. Mm. She needs like, like a, a couple of mornings ago, my husband was leaving, it, her, her dad was leaving to, and she was upset about it. And I knew she was upset about it. She was just acting horrible. And I was like, Rosie, come on over here. You need to help me put these dishes away. And I kind of stood her on the stool and like just started handing them to her. And like immediately things. And then I was like, all right, now we're sweeping. And now we, then we went around and we swept and we spent 30 minutes and we like cleaned up together. And she, she behaved better for the rest of the day because it kind of like, oh, I have, I have, I have something I need to do. I don't have time to mess around with bad behavior. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, I've started doing this since, since reading the book and A, I was astounded how much they wanted to help and how often I was not letting them, which like yes. breaks my heart because mom, I want to help. And I'm like, well, I'm done letting the dishwasher. You can't do that. So just sit on the counter and shut up. <laughs> but but, <laughs> if I can get, <laughs> but I give her she can do it. Like she can, I mean, she does one plate at a time and she's super slow, but she is so happy. And like you're saying, she is so much better for the rest of the day versus if I like let her sit at the iPad for 20 minutes and watch an episode of Daniel Tiger, which actually is great. But like the, the, the difference in behavior after that event is so dramatic that it's, I'm now I'm like telling my husband, don't just put that thing away. Like she should be helping me with breakfast right now. They shouldn't be going crazy because it's going to change how the rest of the day goes. So you, interesting. you had a, a name for this. Yeah. They ha- they call this in, was it in the Mayan culture, the acomodito? Yeah. In Spanish. It's like, it's a term used across a lot of Central America or Mexico. Comodito. Yeah. It means like, it's the skill of learning to pay attention to things that are going around and then helping when you, when you can help. So kind of like being accommodating and it's something they start teaching kids around like two, like your kids, two to four is the like key time because that's when they really want to help. And, and you're right. There's studies that show that like European American parents push, literally push them away, go away, go play. I need to finish this. You're in my way. And a lot of psychologists think that over time that erodes children's motivation to help. And so they, as they grow up, they lose it around six, seven, eight. They start not wanting to help. Mm, that explains um, my husband. And Ian, <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I, I um, very early on in writing this book, I realized that my husband was going to be an issue of this because if he's not a comedido, or right. I'm not a comedido to him, how are we going to teach Rosie, right? If we're arguing over the dishes, then like, how is she ever going to want to? Nobody has studied this, but I think it's got to be part of it, right? If the parents are arguing over the dishes, no, you did it. I did it last night. The kid's never going to want to do the dishes, right? So I actually did use the stuff in the book on my husband. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I find that for him, it's the hard, or men often in general, like one of the hardest parts is just that awareness part that you're talking about. Yes. Yes. No one's talking. They're just not Right. They're like, just not paying attention that there's like already three empty glasses sitting there. Like, I can't help yeah. with this. So, like, and you said the magic words to a comedito and that's like paying attention, like attention. Right. And, and, and I think it's because nobody ever taught them. Every, no one ever taught them to pay attention to it. Like you said, like stuff just got done. Right. Like, right. Right. They're, 
it I'm was kidding. a spectator I'm sport. Right. I tell him that. No, but I seriously did like slowly teach him a comodito while I was like learning it, learning how to do it with Rosie. And it, it is incredible how, how much better things are. Like he is right. so much better at cleaning up and we don't fight over dishes and stuff because it, because another part of this, and I talk about this in the book is that we do things together. Right. Right. There's not this like arguing over, well, you did it last night. I did it. Who's doing mm-hmm. what? We do all the things together as a family. So one of the big things, if you cut out all the activities that you're afraid to cut out, all that, all that stimulation, um, is that you can make just the everyday chores, the activity. So like Saturday mornings, we make breakfast together for, and it, we take forever sometimes and we clean it up and we do it all together. And then every night after dinner, everyone cleans up together. Nobody is really allowed to go off and do something. We're all going to do it together. Husband, child, me, same with laundry. So these chores become these team tasks. And so it's a time to work together and be together, but it also makes it so it's, you don't have to keep track. Like you're doing it, I'm doing it. There's no competition or, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a husband, big difference. Yeah. My husband and I actually, we, we got a lot of benefit from this book called The 80-80 Marriage. And it's basically oh, what you're saying. It's like, it's called, it's, the idea is basically that you give, instead of trying to be 50-50, yeah. you try to each give more than 50% oh, of, of the effort. So the, so the idea is just like everybody's trying to help. And so that's- sort That's of, very similar. Yeah, but it was just like in the t- context of our relationship, but it fits perfectly in with trying to get the kids involved as well. Yeah, yeah. That's really that interesting teamwork. because one of the crazy things, so in the book I talk a lot about how Westerners are really weird, right? That, right. that we, we behave really strangely psychologically. It's and like white, educated, industrialized. Rich uh, and democratic. Rich and democratic. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then we do like these crazy things on psychological tests. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them is, is that we think the only thing that's fair is 50-50. And that mi- many other cultures, people, you say, well, what's fair? People will say 20 to 80. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and I didn't really understand because I was always like, well, of course, 50-50 is fair. I didn't really, you know, I was like, well, how could 20-80 be fair, right? Or, but it's getting at this point that everyone's just trying their best. Right. And it could fall. The kid could fall at 20 or 10 and it's everybody and it changes every day and it changes every day and with different tasks exactly if we're trying to be 50 50 all the time we're just setting ourselves up for misery right because so one thing that hit me really profoundly when when you wrote about it is so it's one thing to talk about having the kid be involved and that, that all sounds lovely but when you do the opposite when you put your kid in the corner and just let them play while you clean up like what that teaches the child about their role in the family yeah it teaches them that they're eventually over time it teaches them their role is to play <laughs> right and my role or is to TV. do everything for them that's right and it's so funny because that sounds so obvious when you say it out loud like of course that's what i'm teaching them that's right. what we do all day long every day and and then you realize that that's not at all what you want <laughs> like that's not right. at all and the then you end up with a 12 year old that doesn't want to yeah. help and you're like why don't they want I know, yeah, but it's our, crazy, our right? culture just tells us the, the exact opposite. And it's just, I'm so thankful for that insight because I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. It's not your job to play right now. We're, <laughs> we're making lunch. Like, I'm not making lunch. We are making lunch. Yeah. And, and I think kids need to hear that. They need to hear what is their job. Like, one of the dads told me, nuance, kids are, kids are not about nuance. <laughs> right. You know, like, it takes time. To, and it takes, yeah, you have to say, and the parents say, no, this is a family task. Again, they don't have to do much, right? Like literally like some evenings, Rosie, she's better now. She's six now. So she does quite a lot. 
But the stuff we've been doing, she does a lot. She will help me really clean up the kitchen and stuff. But you know what? She started off like just bringing a couple plates in or wiping the table at the end. They like, they if, if you can get a kid like kind of ex- like one task that they do over and over again, it becomes like their own task. And that mm. was wiping the table. So first she just liked spraying it. And she was like three, <laughs> right? So it was, okay, fine. You spray it, I'll wipe. And then mm-hmm. someday she just wanted to wait. And it was just, but now three years later, every night she comes and she, grabs the sprayer, wipes on the table. And, and, and that's the idea, right? And but it's, I, I had to tell her like, no, we're team effort. This is a group effort. Everyone's working together, cleaning up together. At the mm-hmm. beginning, it was a lot of that. Yeah. With my husband too. Yeah. Team effort. No, you're not going to go get on your phone. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You, you talk about one of the things this does psychologically is it taps into that intrinsic motivation. Yeah. For a child, which especially small children, I mean, it is there just in spades. They are so desperate to contribute and help. This reminds me very much, I talk about this in sort of my other life when I try to help people eat healthier. Mm. People, when people start like a diet or Mm. or some sort of health regimen, it's always about these extrinsic rewards. Like I want to look thinner. I want to fit into something. I'm doing this for my doctor and my, my numbers, my cholesterol or whatever. But if that's your motivation to start health habits, they're going to fail mm. because it's it's a chore. You're, you're turning something that, you, and you actually, right. and so what, like you say in the book, extrinsic motivations actually can undermine any intrinsic motivation that was there. So let's say you might have liked going for a walk, or you might have right. really liked eating salad in the summertime, but if it's all of a sudden something you have to do because some you're supposed to, then right. then that that internal drive goes away. And so that's the problem with like sticker charts and you know chore chore charts and things like that. It it almost destroys what you're trying to get. Yes. Yes. And it one of the psychologists would argue Barbara Brookoff, she argues in one of her papers that like it goes against the comedido because it tells the child these are the only things you need to do. Right. And, and, and autonomy too is really about looking around and being aware, like what needs to be done? How can I help? Right. And that changes. It's a much more complex skill than do the dishes on Thursday, do the, but also the chore chart. Is that the family's chore chart? I would like the family chore chart. (laughs) Right. Just stuff needs to be done. Family. (laughs) We're all going to do these things. And like, because the chore chart too, psychologists will tell you that when the child has to do it by themselves, especially younger children, it feels like a punishment, mm-hmm. you know, that if I go, go, go fold the laundry, go do this, but then it's, I have to be by myself. Like a big part of children helping is, is social, mm-hmm. right? They want to be, especially the little ones, they want to be with you and they want to, they just, children just want to be part of your world. They want to do what you do. Like Maria in the Yucatan, she has these wonderful quotes that I have the tape up where she says like the little four-year-old, she wants to do what I do. And she says, and I said, and do you let her? And she says, yes, that's how they learn. Mm. And then I said, but what if she can't do it? She says, it doesn't matter. That's how they learn. <laughs> and I mean, that really sums it up. They want to be with us. They want to do what we do. And, you, and if, even if they can't do it, we, if we can include them somehow, that will fan the flame, fan the mm. internal motivation, intrinsic motivation. And as they grow up, they'll want to do it more and more. And it will become... I, second nature, and I think it becomes second nature in some some ways. Yeah, you've seen it. That's amazing. So I would like to dig a little bit into different age groups for this exact concept. So yeah. I, I, 
this starts, I'm assuming, with like a one and a half, two year old that, you know, so they keep they the babies aware. Don't even tell you hold the baby while you're doing things. They don't really, a lot of cultures don't put babies down very much, right? Mm-hmm. The baby's just kind of on the person or next to the person. They're, they're not 42. <laughs> that is true. Or they had, I remember like, I had no clue how to hold the baby. Like, I, like we have these pictures of me trying to get Rosemary when she's like a baby in like one of those rats. She's like screaming and she's like hanging off the side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, no skills at that. <laughs> but yes, definitely 18 months is like when the really starts to like, they start teaching them to be, to do, to do tasks, to be helpful. So they'll even say, move something out of the way or go grab this or, and then they'll also teach them to share. Like, oh, give your little, give your sister a piece of the muffin. Give your, when we were up in the Arctic, this little 18 month old. Their mom said, go give Rosie a potato chip. Little 18, walk through to Rosie. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's how it's taught, right? Interesting. Yeah, I remember my, my youngest, she, when she, she really wanted to help. Oh my gosh, what was I doing? I was like unloading the dryer. She was just like so glad to just hold the door open for me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it, it's tiny, tiny tasks. And Suzanne would tell me, especially with young kids, quick tasks. Mm-hmm. That they can kind of just do and be done because kids will, it, it's like a drive by help. It's yeah. do this task and then they run off and that's great, right? It's not this thing of like, you're going to sit here with me while I do this. It's, mm. it's, it's quick, easy little tasks. And then over time they will grow yeah. in complexity and skill. Yeah. So let's say you're starting with a toddler, like a okay. three-year-old and you're, you're, you you want to start integrating them into but what's the time? What so they're a little bit older, they're capable of doing a little bit more, not just like sitting and watching and holding a door. Is there and I actually and like maybe they already have a lot of practice playing while I do everything. (laughs) A lot of a lot of parents will tell you, and a lot of this the scientists that study this will tell you that a lot of times parents don't even will, will not even ask the kid to do something like many days, but they will have the kid there. Mm. Like just that, or they'll give the kid a piece of equipment mm. to play with. So like, so like a lot of times the moms would give Rosie masa ball, mm. ball of dough or some pots and pans. Right. Mm. And so t- t- with the little ones that age, like just being around you and like somehow integrated in it, in the sense of like something to do that's kind of peripheral, that, that also is very common. And then if the kid can do something, hand me the spoon. Very, very small things. That age. And what if, what if they don't want to? What if they're like, uh uh-uh. They will just not care. Nobody, it's very, nothing is really forced, Mm. especially with the little ones. It's just, as they get older, five, six, when, then there could be some comments made. Like, one of the moms will say, like, you just be so helpful. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we're like, oh, that's- Like, sarcastically? Yeah. Don't okay. be too accommodito. There's even an example of that. Don't be too accommodito. You know, yeah. Do, yeah, a little snide. Because the thing is, especially with the Maya, especially with the, the groups in Mexico, is they want to teach the child to want. Mm. Right? This is a big difference. This is the thing a, a lot of people are like, oh, but the kids have to help because they're poor. And But it's not like that. First of all, the kids don't have to help because they live very different lives than we live. And they, they're, they're not. They're poor on our, in our terms, but they're not starving right, or right. they live very well. But they're not, the moms will tell you, the parents will tell you, they're not forcing the children to do it because That's it so goes against a comedido. Yeah. You know what you just reminded me of? The way that was phrased, oh, don't be too, don't be too helpful. Yeah. It's actually 
like right out of a page of a type of uh, motivational strategy called motivational interviewing. Have you oh, ever heard about this? Where the, the idea is that if, if you're arguing with somebody and they're making the case of why they shouldn't do something, like you've already lost. What you want to yes. do is to convince them to argue for why they can do it. And oh. so you, you say things like, oh, well, that must be too hard for you anyway. And <laughs> they're like, oh, no, and, and I'm, not, I'm not a baby. I could do it. I just don't want to maybe. Yeah, and you can, right. and you right. start, are, they start arguing for themselves why they can and should and want to do it. And then you've won. <laughs> that's so interesting because so mature, that's another thing a parent will say is they'll link it to immaturity, right? If they think the child should be doing and should be helping, then they'll say, oh, because you're a baby, mm. which a lot of Western psychologists would tell you that you're like shaming them or whatever, but it's super common, like all mm. over the world. There's no shame in being a baby. You're just a baby. I mean, and, and I think that's the difference is it's <laughs> yeah. the way it's set. It's not said in a way of I'm criticizing you and I'm being mean. It's just saying, oh, that, that's what a baby does. A baby doesn't help. Factual. And then, the, and then Rosie will start arguing, like you said. Oh, no, no, I'm not a baby. <laughs> the, the, the maturity thing works amazingly. Mm. But I, I save it for things that I really care about. Okay. I got, that's how I got her to get rid of the pacifier. I got really shamed by the dentist because she was still using a pacifier, which was like three or something. And then I, I just said to her, oh, yeah, because you're still a baby, you need the pacifier. And literally two days later, she handed it to me. Oh, wow. That's all you said? Like I said it maybe twice. Wow. Like I even gave her the pacifier. I was, oh, you need this because you're a baby. Mm-hmm. And then she came over to me like, two, like a day later and said, I don't need this, mama. I'm not a baby. I applaud your patience. That's... <laughs> That's a good story. Well, she had it for three years. Fair. <laughs> and she chose to stop it. So that was it. It was amazing. There were no tears because she chose it, right? And that's a big difference in Western and parenting and what's in the book is that the strategies of the book are trying to get the child to figure it out and choose it. Mm-hmm. Trying to get the child to decide, I want to help. I want to be, I want to share. I want to be kind instead of forcing it. Yeah. Fascinating. You know. It's like magic. So, and then when they do the thing you want them to do, you, you praise them, right? <laughs> right? No. You just tell them how wonderful yeah, they are and how no. it was the best thing ever. <laughs> I mean, I got yelled at when we were in the my village because I praised the kid. The first day we were there, the Suzanne Gaskins, the other brothers said, they do not get praised. Like, <laughs> I have it on tape. Um, no, they don't get praised. Kids, kids rarely get praised in all of the world and throughout his human history. You can even find it if you... If you go and read the Little, ha- Little House on the Prairie books, which are very interesting from a parental parenting hmm. perspective, the kids don't get praised. Actually, almost everything in the book is in that, those books. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. And that's, that's European American parenting circa eight, late 1800s. Yeah. We haven't been this weird for that long. No, no. It really has been like the last 150 years it started. And then the last 20 to 30, we've gotten really weird. <laughs> and the praise is one of them. Yeah. So let's, let's like, let's talk about it. Why, why no praise? I mean, I'm, I'm so conscious of it now that I, I've read this and it's just so innate. To, so innate. I mean, these horrible drawings, everybody's, oh my God, it's so beautiful. <laughs> the, just the do one little voice. thing and it's just they're the God's gift to the universe. And I've been conscious of not doing it anymore, but I'll like, I'll hear the nanny do it or I'll hear my husband do it or I'll hear grandma do it. Yeah, grandma. And it's, and I'm just like, I don't know what to say anymore. I'm just like, I know <laughs> the grandma's a hard one. My mommy's really, cause it's interesting. Cause I grew up, my, my dad didn't praise us at all. I grew up with this hybrid cause mm-hmm. like our grandparents didn't get praise. Right. My mom didn't get praise, but it was the eighties that it really started to take hold and 
Oh, the the positive. Yes. And this there was this whole movement in California that like the problem with children, you know, pregnancy, drugs, alcoholism, everything was because kids weren't being praised enough. Yeah. Self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. And the, but there's no data. I mean, the, da- the data on praise are all over the place. In certain situations, praise can motivate children. It can. In certain situations, it demotivates them. It can. In certain situations, it causes anxiety. It can cause competition. I mean, even at my job at NPR, I see how praise causes competition between mm-hmm. the reporters. People are like competing for praise and it's just totally unnecessary, I think is for, for a child's self-esteem is completely unnecessary. And what is way more important is the child feeling like they've made a comp- contribution, feeling that connection, feeling like they're part of a team. A lot of psychologists would argue that that's way more important than hearing a oh, good job. Right. You know, so you, you, you say that the, the alternative is acknowledgement, right? Yeah. And I've been recently, I've just been into like gratitude. Some cultures don't say thank you. Like the mm-hmm. Mayan culture doesn't say thank you, but the Inuit culture says thank you. And, and I, and I want to model to Rosie gratitude. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm genuinely thankful that you helped me tonight. I like that. Yeah. And it feels more genuine to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I am. Right. right. Yeah. No, that, that, I think that's one of the hardest things that I struggle with with my kids is, teaching manners yes. because yes. I, I want, obviously I like, I model it. I a hundred percent model it. I, I, I always say, please. when I ask them for something. I always say, thank you. And I, they do something nice. And, but I'm, they're so resistant to when I tell them to do it yeah, to each other or for me. And, and yeah. so I, but it's, but I feel like it's important. I feel like all the other kids are saying, thank you. And my little boogers like won't say anything. And I, I get this right like, shame she, around it, yeah, which is also weird. Like, doesn't exist anywhere else. Okay, yeah. before I won't say anywhere else, but it's bit, I will say this. So nowhere that we went do parents tell kids to say please and thank you. They don't tell kids what to say. I call that in the book like ventriloquism. Mm-hmm. And it starts so young, right? The little baby can barely walk and the parent's like, say this, say that, say that, right? So I stopped telling Rosie what to say because I felt like it's taking away her voice and her right. autonomy. And I think a lot of parents in the world feel would feel that way. Like, why are you doing that? I think like, it's hate it. I, she hates it so much. Like, I really feel like she would say it sometimes if everybody wasn't asking her to say it. And, and I think there's some of that with Rosie. I think that there's some of that where it's like, I, and, and again, there's a lot of data on this, right? People feel like they're not, there's not a choice. They sometimes will shy away from doing it mm-hmm. because they feel like they're being controlled, mm-hmm. right? So I stopped doing it and I started to wonder, like, is she ever going to say things? <laughs> and she says it to me and, and but to like strangers or like her teachers, like kind of out in the world, she's less, she's less likely. And finally I said to her one day, I said, I said, I, I kind of, so she's six now. I waited a long time. And I said, it makes people feel good if you say thank you when they compliment hmm. you or they do something nice for you. And she started saying it and, and she doesn't do it all the time, but it was like, okay, she's ready to understand why it's important. I just kind of waited and then I don't think she understood why. Right. I think that's actually when kids develop empathy is around six and seven. Maybe, maybe it was weird. I was like, I was like, she just doesn't understand that like that it matters to some people. Huh. That's really interesting. That's okay. Cool. Cause I get- think the difference is like one, like I was telling her to say please and thank you for my sake kind of. Right. Like exactly. you said, I didn't, I didn't want to seem like a bad mom. I've been trying not to do those things because because I think it does take away the autonomy for kids, right? And eventually they will say it. Because it, it, a lot of psychologists will tell you just because you say it, mm-hmm. they will say it. It, it. it might take some time, but like 
you saying it over and over again, right, is probably the biggest correlative. Right. Right. And I like know that, like I can feel it, but I still feel like I have to do it. (laughs) I know. It's so hard. It's so hard because parents are so judgmental of other parents. And I'm sorry. (laughs) Thanks. Because it's awful and I hate it. And yeah. uh, so one of the things I really love about the the concepts that you talk about are is the is the fact that like this good behavior that you're talking about, right? It's it's a skill. Yeah. That's and right. it's something and the parents in these other cultures treat it like a skill that needs to be slowly taught over the years. And we're talking about with the empathy. There are stages when the kid is capable of certain things and not capable. There are times when they're still not capable of certain things. And it's interesting. This is huge. Yeah. It it reminds me. So my whole, my whole thing right now is my whole thing in general. And the one place I think I've really done all this stuff pretty right is with food. Mm. So it was really important to me. I'm kind of like the French style of that. My kids understand food, that they understand seasonality, that they understand flavors, that they aren't picky eaters, that they have- They have a connection to it. palate and they have a connection to it. But I, people think like when they come to my house, they're like, oh my God. Like when they see my kids eating, they're like, wait, where are the hot dogs and mac and cheese? I'm like, oh no, they're having duck and lentils and (laughs) kale is her favorite food with onions. (laughs) And they're just, what what freak place am I living in? But- it's because I've treated it exactly like this, like, like a, a skill. skill that it's my job to teach them. I don't, and it's not about making them eat or forcing them of in, to anything, but it's about meeting them where they are Yeah, and just instilling this as a value. Right. And yeah. it's funny because I feel like in behavior and food, that's one place where Western parents don't do this, but they do it in everything else. Like reading and reading, math right, and yeah, playing an instru- yeah. instrument and playing yeah. sports. Like we understand that these things are skills that you need to train and be taught and that certain ages are capable of something, some things yeah. and in other ages they aren't. Why, why did, why did we lose this? It's such an interesting thing, right? Like why do, cause that's the exact same thing. I mean, you like summed it up beautifully with what I realized when it comes to helping, when it comes to sharing, when it comes to being kind, like, like it's, this is just like reading and writing, like. Things are going to take time. You have to be patient. And, and getting angry at Rosie because she's not doing it at that moment is not going to help, right? It's Right. It makes it worse. I don't know why. I don't know why we've switched. One of the, I don't know. I it's could, almost I like people speculate. think it's like innate. Like kids should be able to say thank you if I tell them to say thank you. Or like well, kids so there should is this eat. belief, right? That like, <laughs> I mean, I want to say that I want to blame the Puritans. <laughs> mm. But there is this. But there is this like hierarchy in Western culture of the parent is telling the child what to do and the child listens, right? There mm. is a long history of this. And this is what's in the book is not that philosophy, right? What's in the yeah. book is I'm get, the parent is going to encourage certain behavior and there are things that are not tolerated, but, but those are very carefully chosen. And it's mm. not just please and thank you, right? It's, it's like, right. it's, but I think you summed it up beautifully that like child learns over time but they also need context. They need connection. They need to, to understand, right? Like teaching a child seasonality and food. That's so beautiful, right? The child, that, that, that there's this rich context around what they're eating, right? And I think it's the same with helping. Well, why are we doing this? You know, this is important to our family. This is important that we have clean clothes. Like I'll tell Rosie, I was like, she doesn't want to do, help me with the laundry. I'll be like, oh, so you want to wear dirty, you want to have dirty clothes? You want to go to school with dirty clothes? My daughter would be absolutely 
<laughs> yes, that's what I want. It's true. Like, Actually, when she was three, there was like, she, but, but again, that's like something that I, I wouldn't tell a three-year-old, right? And it's kind of knowing, yes, you're right. We've lost, we definitely overestimate children's emotional abilities, mm. right? Like even we think like a two-year-old can get angry and upset and be super mad and that they could just stop, yeah. stop crying, <laughs> right? With enemies, and we hear that all that, even my pediatrician was like, oh, just leave her alone. But two or 18 months, like we think that she's capable of having this incredible emotional maturity. Because it's even hard for me if I'm raging mad for me to just stop. You know, no. it's like, it takes days. Yeah. <laughs> so we totally overestimate their emotional abilities and we totally underestimate their physical abilities. Yeah. And I think and, we underestimate their food tasting abilities. <laughs> totally do. And we yeah. give up so fast. And they, actually, there's been some studies. give up so fast, right? So fast. There's been some studies where they talk to parents about this. And the, the mom will literally give the child the food and then say, oh, she won't eat it. Yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> the kid has never seen the food before, right? And he's like, yes. wait. And the, the psychologist is like, you're already like telling the child they're not going to eat. Like, you're just, mm-hmm. you've given up before. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. With food, it's yeah. Anyway, it just it reminded me of that because I, I mean, because I, I treat it like a skill, and it works that way. So, I think you can do that with anything, yeah. any problems yeah. that you have. It's like, and you have, yeah, you have this amazing formula for it. So, yeah, you know, practice practicing the behavior, and then modeling is that, and that's what the parents' job, right? Is the modeling, yeah, the, yeah. Like you really have to look at yourself, right? If you're eating whatever, then you know the kids, gonna yeah. Eat. yeah. And, and practicing then, is like setting up experiences for the child to practice. That's the right, key, right? Like right. it's not just, it's like creating those little tiny, okay, give, give Rosie the potato chip, right? right. Go grab my shoes, right? It's just right. kind of like creating these little experiences for them to practice, which is what you're doing with the food, right? You get, I assume you give them small amounts or like. Yeah. I mean, when I introduce something new, I, I do it in a very, con- like very conscious way. And mm. I, I explain what the ingredient is. I'm like, I don't just expect them to clean their plate. And I tell right. them how I cooked it. I tell them about why we didn't have it two months ago because it just came out, out of the garden now. <laughs> and now we have a, a framework where they understand that I expect them to taste it mm. and that they understand that I tried my best to make it delicious, mm. but I also don't expect them to finish it, but I expect them to like give it a try. So it's not – they they and now they know that. So And they know that their taste can change over time. Right. They know that if if – I cook something one way that I could totally cook it again that differently the next day and they might like it. Like they know that it's not just the ingredient, it's also how it's prepared. So it's just this this framework that we've established and now they're willing to work with me. And sometimes it's like hard no. <laughs> like, right. like, like, and do you, like, you don't force it? No, no, no. I never turn it into it's, a conflict. It, it is so very similar to yeah. how like the Maya parents teach helpfulness. It's very, mm-hmm. very similar, right? It's like, giving context, explain, like, even moms will say, like, why this is so valuable, why this is important. Maria would say, like, I explained to them why this is important. Yeah. You know, I don't force it. And does it happen every day? Things change. Like, it really is amazing. And and maybe it boils down to values. Right. You know, that you really value that. And so you've put, created this, like you say, intentionally. And maybe we've lost, like, the valuing of our food that way. Yeah. And, and I think we've lost, there's no doubt that we we want our children to be helpful, but we've kind of lost the valuing of it in children. This is actually true. I just realized this. That might be that because about 150 years ago, there was this idea that children should play. That, that you, is documented in psychology that the child's 
job and the family is to play and have this childhood. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, it, it came out some of, of the child labor laws, like children were being kind of forced to really do hard work. And so there was some response to that, which is good. We don't, but I think what happened was we kind of swung the other way where we don't value children as helpers and we don't value their contributions. And we don't, we don't see that like there is something do, doing something really good for Rosie to be at home cooking with me. Just mm. as good, probably, as her being at, like, Mandarin lessons. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm right. not trying to say Mandarin lessons are bad, but I'm saying cooking dinner in me is also really important. And I think right. we've kind of lost that a little bit. Yeah, we have devalued that. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. So I wanted to, I do want to talk about your your little, your formula, because it's okay, really yeah. cool. Sorry. So the practice for the kids, and literally do the little things, and then yeah. we model by doing it ourselves. Yeah. Kind of the full way. So they're doing, like, little tasks, we do the full. Yeah, and they have to be around you. Yeah. Right. They're in right. classes all the time. I mean, like what I say in the book is like anything you want them to do, they need to see you doing it. Right. Right. Regularly. And then, right. And then acknowledgement. Yeah. Right. Acknowledgement is, it's not, I mean, it can be praised and this is like good job, but it doesn't have to be. It, and I say it's like a table, like a cup of practice, a cup of lion, like a tablespoon of, but it's just kind of pointing out that it's, it's, it's way less emotional, I think, than what we think of as mm. like. It's kind of like, oh, that was helpful. Right. You know, that's a comment. Like, even when I was writing the book, I said, that's a comedito. Rosie knew all about a comedito. And like, and I pointed out at other people too, like that, that, that's mm. a comedito. Yeah. Just kind of, or, or accepting the contribution, accepting what they did. Right. Yeah. Instead of trying yes, to it, fix it, it and change yeah. it. And oh no, oh, it's yeah, not I like have. that. You know, like really kind of like, oh yeah, let me take that from you. Yeah. Now that, that is, I'm thinking about it, I do what you do with the food. I say, I just say thank you if they tried it. Um, even if they didn't like it, if they reject it, I say, you know, thank you for trying. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Like, so that's just mudly like gratitude. And it, and it acknowledges that they did something new and, and yeah. Like, and, they, and you're thanking over. them for eating the food that you, yeah. I, I feel like you could never go wrong with saying thank you. <laughs> yeah. What hit me while I was writing the book was I was like, wait a second though. What are all the things I'm teaching her that I'm not realizing I'm teaching her? Right, right. You know, what is what she are you modeling? Pra- yes, what am I modeling? <laughs> what is she getting practice at? And, you know, what am I actually acknowledging with a lot of attention? You know, and one of these big things was arguing, right? That mm. that she was getting a lot of practice at arguing with me. I was modeling it for sure. And I was acknowledging it by continuing to sit there and talk about it and ruminate over it. And so I, the formula really shocked me the other direction because it would be mm. like, oh, when you're teaching the wrong skills. Yeah. Cause we, I think we do a lot of things with that formula that we don't realize that we're doing. I actually wanted to talk next about the, the silence and talking less because that is also really hard to do with kids. I mean, it's sad. It makes sense, you know, but I've, in my, in my practicing of this stuff, it, it's one of the harder things to internalize and, and I make mean, real. We don't need it. We needed it. There would be just moments where I was just going to lose everything. I was just going to erupt in, in enormous amounts of anger. And, and I would just be like, I need silence. Like I even, like, my mom was with us a couple of weeks ago and we were making burgers for, for a bunch of people. And I was just like, you know what? I can't take this. I just can't take the, this, the words. There's just too many words. I was like, can we just do these hamburgers in silence? And I started a timer on Google and for 15 minutes. <laughs> wow. And of course, Rosie was talking like, you know, it's like <laughs> completely like at the beginning, my mom was kept talking and everyone kept talking. But after about five minutes, everyone was quiet. 
And then it was like t- 10 more minutes went by. And you know what? After those 15 minutes, we had made like all these burgers and it was, we were all so much more relaxed. We were all so much, I wasn't angry anymore. That's all I needed. And yeah. So I find that when I can do it, it's amazing. So I've just like the other day, I couldn't even believe it. I, Zelda was being really difficult. Didn't want to get dressed for school because everything was itchy. And I was just like, okay, well, I have to go. We're going to be late for school. I'm going to take your sister and I'm going to go make breakfast because that needs to happen next. Yeah. And I just walked out and I explained to her, but I just, I I didn't fight with her. I didn't argue with her. I was just like, I'm not going to make this happen right now. I have to do something else. And five, 10 minutes later, my husband's like, where's, where's she? (laughs) And he goes in there and she comes out completely fully dressed. She just, she dressed herself. She was all ready. She had a little hair clip in. She just got herself ready for school. And I was just like, my God, (laughs) it was like magic. (laughs) And then with my younger one, she was having a full, I mean, she's a much more like fiery, emotional child. And she was having a full thing, full on thing. And I just got really close to her and I just whispered and I said, it's all right, sweetie. It's okay to be upset. And she just like immediately met my, my level and started telling me what was going on. And I was like, but not like immediately, but she took a minute and like sniffled and asked her to blow her nose first. She calmed down. She calmed down and it's, it's so amazing. But but even though I know that it's still really hard in the moment. (laughs) It's really hard in the moment. It gets easier. Again, practice. Yeah, It will get easier. Cause that, that I talk about that in the book, the, the braid part, like the, like our emotions are just all that we practice and it will get easier. It's such a great skill, right? To just have the world being blowing, blowing up around you. Kids can do a lot more. Like again, we underestimate their physical ability. (laughs) And if we just let them be, I literally now don't even tell Rosie when I'm leaving. I just walk out of the house Mm. and she. Even if she's not like completely done, ready. I mean, I've trained her like what she used to do to get out the door. She's six now. And so I'll just walk out and I'll just wait outside. Mm. And it, she always comes. And wow. sometimes she is missing things, but she has to go back and <laughs> <laughs> Today we actually ended up in school without the mask. And because I don't, I don't always check. Like it's like her, but you know, I had an extra one in my pocket. So I was like, okay. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's the thing I say in the book, take action. Instead of telling kids, just take action. Mm-hmm. They'll come. Like, I, I'll never forget one night in, up in the Arctic, the grandma, it was like time for the bath. And she said, what, she's going to take a bath tonight. And, that, and then, I don't know, 50 minutes later, she went and she drew the bath. And then the kid came and got in the bath. And I was hmm. just like, I would have been like, okay, 10 more minutes to bath time. Five more minutes to bath time. Okay, now we're going to take a bath. Why aren't you in the bath? <laughs> then they really like struck me. It was like, oh, like the kid knows. Right? You yeah. draw the bath, the kid knows right. what that means. Why am right. I why am I telling him? So you're blue in the face, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean you sort of summarize all of this into a concept of team parenting. Yeah. As T togetherness, E encouragement, correct me if I'm wrong on yeah. anything. A autonomy and M is minimal interference. Yes, yes, yes. The M is the most complex. I think we covered the other one slightly, but Yeah. So yeah. if you look around the world and Throughout human history, this is the way adults treat treat children. So they include them in their activities, like their world together. It doesn't mean that they're like instructing them, talking to them. They're just included. One of the my researchers says there's sophisticated inclusion in adult tasks, which I think, but it, at least they're just included. So it's not 
feeling like you have to entertain the child. It's just being mm-hmm. together. And it's not usually the, 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 the parents. It can be another child. It can be a friend, a neighbor. It's just that kids are really designed psychologically to do things with other people. Oh, highly social creatures. And then E is encouraged. We talked about this a little bit. The kids don't like to be forced. They don't, when you force a child to do something, you demotivate them, you create stress, you create anxiety. And so the, in the book, I hope that there's tools that like you can use to encourage the proper, but it doesn't mean you just throw your hands up and like the kid does whatever, they eat whatever. You encourage right. over time through the practice and the, and the autonomy we talked about a lot. And then yeah. minimal interference is really this idea that like, we talked about this at the beginning, like we have this sense that the more we do and the more we interfere with the child and kind of intervene and talk and instruct and shape, the better parents we are. Whereas like a lot of parents around the world, it's kind of the opposite. They kind of think like, I'm going to step back and watch and observe. I'm not walking away. I'm not not there because we're together i'm gonna watch and i'm gonna step in only when i really need to and otherwise i'm gonna be kind of there as a support so what that means right now for me and rosie is she's six and she's just starting to want to do activities like soccer and stuff like that and so minimal interference is okay let her drive that ship right not not me signing her up for soccer, but let her, I really want to do soccer, mom. Okay, what, does she tell me that every day? Does she tell me that once a month? And then if she really is driving that ship, then it's, okay, how can I make it so she is like in charge of that? Mm. So she eventually gets herself to soccer practice. So she figures out where you sign up. So it's this idea of being kind of, kind of like I, almost a stage hand, mm. right? Or like mm. the support team instead of the director. Awesome. And, yeah. <laughs> And in, in the other part of that, Suzanne will tell you, is like, we don't need to keep pushing children to the next step, mm. right? Grizzly would come up and she'd be like, Mama, what's eight plus eight? I'll be like, 16. And then I could just stop there. Or I could say, what's right. nine plus nine? Or like my husband, I could say, what's 28 plus 68? And then she's angry because she doesn't know it, right? We could just, right. we just stop. We don't need to yeah. like. <laughs> She'll figure it out. Yeah. She'll figure out math. She'll figure it out. We don't need 68 plus 27. Right. It's stressful for kids. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michaeline. Where can people find you? So I'm on Twitter, but you can definitely email me. And we are trying to put together some podcasts that hopefully early next year that will actually go into more detail some of the things, some of the ideas, and look at some of the ideas we didn't cover, like food and screens. And but if you email me, I'll definitely put. I'll definitely email you when that comes out. And uh, and you can email me anytime. My email is on my my webpage. Okay. And what, what's your, what you said your Twitter handle? I'm like foodie science. Oh, foodie science. Yes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope everybody can learn so much from your wisdom. I have learned so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> that was such an amazing conversation. And I am so excited to continue putting these practices to work with my kids. You can pick up a copy of Hunt, Gather, Parent, wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a friend or on social media. And if you have time, please head over to Apple and give us a five-star review so we can continue to get fantastic guests like Michaeline. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.